everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marcus, and Colin. We're recording this two days after the recent Academy Awards, which was definitely a shocking evening. That one crazy moment. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, the, the crazy moment that I'm talking about, of course, is where they showed a clip uh, from Army of the Dead, which was uh, a fan favorite moment, apparently, that was nominated. So the idea that they showed a super zombie jumping at the helicopter... And they actually had that in a package at the Academy Awards was just shocking to me. And there was also that whole slap thing. I, I was actually wondering if Zack Snyder had, was the producer of the Academy Awards telecast because he was all over those fan favorites. That's funny. I know, that's, that's, that's so crazy. <laughs> all right. Uh, do you guys have any unfinished business from our earlier pods? I do, but I did not get to it. Um, after our Gross Point Blank podcast and Dave's great effusing and uh, praise of the movie. I do want to, like, I must have missed something when I watched it. It did not affect me the same. I was hoping to rewatch it before our next one, but I'll put on my list to try and rewatch. Maybe I was in a, in a bad mood when I watched it, but it didn't, I didn't dislike the movie, but it didn't strike me as, as much as such. And you guys both had such more positive things to say about it that I, I, I'll say, I was it quite surprised shot. at your grade of a, of a C plus. Honestly, that, that seemed a bit low to me <laughs> compared to some of the movies we've done. It, like I said, when I watched it, I just didn't, it was a fine movie. I don't, I don't dislike it, but it wasn't like, it didn't strike me. What as, grade would you spontaneously give Hudson Hawk right now? Hudson Hawk? B minus. Yeah. A what? B minus. <laughs> I'd probably give it higher. Okay. So gross point blank is worse than Hudson Hawk in I'll your end, book. I'll, I'll stand by that. I enjoyed Hudson Hawk a lot more than a gross point blank. Look, he's going to watch right. it again. He's I'll watch, watch it, it again, like I, yeah. I said. And like you I, should. I'll, you definitely should because, uh, you know, after we did the podcast, Emily and I watched it again. I mean, she hadn't seen it in a while, but I, I said, like, why don't we watch it? It was a Saturday night. Even though I just did a podcast on it, I'm like, I'll watch it again. This time I'm not going to be taking notes and stuff. And yeah. it was so much fun. It was great. It was really, it's just a really fun movie. What did Emily think of the movie overall? She hated it. <laughs> no, she loved it. Did she? No, she no, loved okay. it. No. Yeah, we had a okay. great time. She, she's seen it before, and it had just been probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And uh, yeah, no, it was great. Listener feedback. So we received a question from Logan, which I'm not sure if that's uh, our friend Bill's son or somebody who's just a Wolverine fan. But the question was, you guys are kind of all over the place with your movie choices, which is true. Do each of you have a favorite genre of film? Colin. It's got to be rom-com, right? <laughs> For the amount of shit I give you, probably. Uh, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm going to say maybe sci-fi action. Marcus? I think you like, have to pick something not like a mainstream category. Like sci-fi action covers like so much. Like pure sci-fi is a lot more. Okay. Okay. Then how about... I mean, this is this is a really... Tough question. I'm going to say screwball comedies from the 1930s and 40s. There you go. Are you being serious too? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. I, That's what I'm saying. Like, what's the hard to say that they're my? It's my like number one favorite, but I, yeah, I yeah. do love them. That's good, Marcus. I'd probably say animation. Like ranking it as like what ranks higher for me than would for you guys would probably be animation would stand out. I think we're all going to rank action movies. And like, you know, sci-fi. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, high. actually. So like, how do we compare our ranks? So I'd probably say animation. I definitely enjoy 
which I just saw turning red the uh, this weekend. Oh, how was that? It's pretty good. It's kind of weird. They start, talk about a uh, uh, a girl starting her first menstrual cycle, and like it's pretty not graphic, but it's, <laughs> Wait, it's, it's pretty funny. Is, <laughs> the mom is that really co- what it's about? Uh, it's, to a certain degree, it's a, definitely a coming of age story, and they, but the the uh, their first period is definitely a a big point of the movie. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a, a a young girl who was dealing with her feelings of of anger. But I know. I thought it was somebody who was getting angry. That yeah. too, but both. It's good. That's Enjoyable. funny. Recommend it. Uh, well, my I guess Marcus had an interesting way to look at it, which is you know which one which genre do we each enjoy that maybe is more so than the others? And I guess I'd probably go for western for me. Yeah, that's what I, I can say. see that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I would I would be the. And I'll hold down the Western corner and maybe the horror corner, honestly. Although you guys seem to like horror movies as well, because when we were doing our Friday Night Frights sub pod for a while, it seemed like we were all having a good time with those movies. For sure. They were fun. Absolutely. They're not my favorite, but we should maybe do another horror film at some point. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. The film we're here to talk about today, uh, from 1994, Natalie Portman's first feature film, directed by Luc Besson. Let's discuss 1994's Leon the Professional. Let's talk business. This guy comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. You can't stop what you can't see. This guy came from the outside. He was a pro. He was fast. In the art of the kill, Leon was the master. Somebody's coming up. Somebody's serious. And above all else, he never had a reason to care. Until now. I like these calm little moments before the storm. My family was shot down by DEA officers. Three kids here. One of them is missing. Find her. Please open the door. Please. From the director of La Femme Nikita. If you don't help me, I'll die tonight. I can feel it. An innocent girl with no one else to turn to. What exactly do you do for a living? Cleaner. You mean you're a hitman? Cool. Marcus, this was your pick. Why did you pick this movie? I picked The Professional. Uh, what are we going to call it? Leon? Leon The Professional is just way too much. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> we need just Or Leon. I mean, because I, I, think, I think in French or in France, it was actually just Leon. Leon. I picked the movie because it's ranked pretty high. David just did a Hitman movie with Gross Point Blank. And so I, I liked the fact of staying on a, a similar theme, became similar. Vibe. Nothing but Hitman movies for the next two months. <laughs> no, no, I'll switch. I, I might just key off like whatever you do. Like I did Eight Mile after you did, um, was the other Detroit movie we just did with uh, the, the Crow? That's, the an, crow. Interesting, yeah, yeah, exactly, that's exactly. an interesting handoff. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't have to be like the, the connection can be very loose. I remember The Professional being a great movie. I remember watching it a long time ago. I haven't seen it that in quite a while. I remember enjoying it a lot. It's been on my top 238 list for a while. It's one of the top-ranked IMDb movies. I believe it's number 33 on IMDb's top 250. And I was just curious to see how much it holds up and how how the movie is. I haven't seen it in quite a while and, and be a good one to talk about. Uh, well, by way of general introduction, so the film does maintain, in my opinion, a shocking 8.6 on the IMDb in terms of its rating. And maybe we'll talk about why it has that particular rating. Is it, is it shockingly uh, it was, higher than The Crow? 
<laughs> well, just shock. I mean, honestly, shockingly higher to some of uh, Luc Besson's other films, even which we can talk about in a second. But, but the film was made for sixteen million dollars. So, and uh, it was. I, I think it was a considered a, su- a success in terms of it made sixteen million dollars or made nineteen million dollars at the U.S. box office and forty-five million dollars worldwide. And what's interesting about this movie is. It's effectively almost a continuation of a character that uh, Jean Renault played in Nikita, because that was where Luc Besson got the idea. Because uh, Jean Renault plays a, a, you know, basically a cleaner, you know, somebody who's coming in to sort of finish off or, or clean up a scene that didn't go well in terms of a hit, and he liked that character and thought it would be interesting to expand that character and, and take him into his own or you know give him his own feature film. Uh, it's interesting. He also wrote a sequel to the movie and he ended up he left the production company that has the rights to Leon and so he wasn't able to continue the sequel but he, he the goal was to have his friend Olivier Megaton is his name Megaton we're going to that can't be the French to deploy the Olivier Megaton <laughs> <laughs> but he's having his friend uh, direct the movie and they couldn't get the rights away from uh, the original production company and so uh, Olivier Megaton ended up producing a Colombian film, the Colombian, Colombiana, Colombiana, yeah, which was co-written by him. It ended up taking basically the sequel story, and stars Zoe Zaldana. So it'll be interesting to see it. Yeah, and they they actually wanted to Luc Besson actually wanted to have Natalie Portman reprise yeah. her role, and that's the only reason why that didn't happen. Like he was waiting until she aged up. And then he was going to do that, but yeah, lost the rights, which really like sucks. I mean, yeah, it would be <laughs> they're, interesting. To they're see. being pricks. The uh, his 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 former production company by holding on to that script and not letting him do that. I agree. Well, so getting back to the the IMDb score, so I do find eight point six shocking. Do you really think that relative to all the movies that are ranked on the IMDb that this is actually deservedly that high? Because I I just don't see it. I think it's higher than it should be, but I think it's a really good movie. So it deserves a high score. But I wouldn't, like for me, I would compare it to something like True Romance. Pretty close. And I think Romance has a 7.9, I think. So I think it's probably a little bit too high. I'd put True Romance ahead. I think it's shot well. It's a really good movie. At the time it came out in 94, it was pretty new stuff. It shot beautifully. Like, I agree it's high. Like, I don't, like, top movie, top 250 all time, like number 33 on the list. Seems a bit generous. It's not like a 5.9 or something. Like it's, it's probably just like a half point too high or so. Well, I, I guess for me, the, the direct point of comparison on this one is Nikita, right? Because Nikita has a 7.3 on the IMDb. And I would personally say that I think Nikita is a better film of the two. Like if, if you compare them I, I disagree. directly. I disagree. Really? Yeah. I disagree because I did not see it. And I saw <laughs> Point of No Return <laughs> instead. Oh, uh, dude! Yeah, Point yeah. of No Return is a is a much uh, no, I know. It's a much softer version of that story. Honestly, I know. Nikita is a much better movie. I know, but it's isn't it also like almost a shot for shot remake? Because I watched the trailer for Nikita. Yeah, there's and some by the way, ones. Is it Nikita or is it La Femme Nikita? Because I always heard it was La Femme Nikita, and then I see it in IMDb and it's listed as Nikita. I don't know which. Luke Brisson just cannot get his. Uh, <laughs> he cannot get his titles down. What is going on? Luke Brisson, he he specializes in having films that have at least two or three different names. So, <laughs> uh, in in particular, this film I think was uh, released in the U.S. as The Professional, and then it was released in France as Leon. 
And then it was re-released, not re-released, but it was basically recut as an international version or a director's cut as Leon the Professional. So yes, three names for this particular movie. You know, but it's probably actually supposed to be Leon, right? And then you got Anna, another uh, recent film of his, and Lucy, yeah. another recent Lucy. film. So Nikita, it does actually make sense. He yeah, likes just one the, name. The one name movies. Yeah. Good, good, yeah, he good also connection. likes uh, female assassins. <laughs> that is for He's sure. a big fan of the female assassin. So, Colin, what do you think about the rating? Do you think it's what do you I, think its rating should I, be? I think eight point six is very high. Uh, yeah. I would I would say the high sevens, maybe eight. Yeah, because I I always really liked this movie. And I haven't seen it in quite a long time, and I really enjoyed watching it again, especially the second half. Yeah, so I, I think I'm not saying that's a bad movie. I mean, for me, it's more of like a 7.5, 7.7. So I think it still scores really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that it's probably I just think that kind of blowing, blowing through that 8.0 barrier compared to the other films that actually have that rating, I think is uh, it, it's a little bit confusing for me. And then when you start to do some of the reading on this film as to why it may have that rating, that's an interesting that's an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Well, well, tell me why. Uh, because there is lot or there are several articles online that reference that. Uh, this is a favorite film of pedophiles. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, just you, I mean, just spend some time reading through Reddit. Spend some time doing a search on that particular no, topic, dude, and you'll find a few articles. Don't spend so. any time reading through Reddit. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't search. Colin, that topic. could you do me a favor and do a search on <laughs> on pedophilia and just see see where that takes you? <laughs> uh, no, no, and no. And then when the FBI shows up at your door, please give them my regards. I think I think we talked about it with the crow too because we thought the crow was ranked a bit higher than it should be. I think there's just a a sweet spot of movies between in like the early '90s to late '90s that hit a certain note for people when IMDb was new and people really thought highly of these movies and they got much higher scores than they probably would get say today or not. I think that's more what has to do with it than other theories. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree Be- because I think that when this movie came out, there was a lot that was new to it and. Yeah. If I hadn't, um, if I hadn't just watched it again, I probably would have given it like maybe a lot higher, or maybe maybe if I'd rated it back when I saw it, it would have been close to an eight point six. Yeah, I mean it's pretty badass. Like the like beginning, like the character, a lot of it's very. And this is remember, this is five years before the Matrix, and so like before the Wachowskis had made Neo, which. I would say looks very much like Leon. Um, you had Leon, and he was he was pretty badass. Like, he he is badass, and this is a fun action movie. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, eight point six is a little too high, but I, you know I wouldn't bat an eye if I you know if it was like an eight an eight. Yeah. Well, the reviews on this movie were were generally fairly positive, so it has a seventy three percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it a two point five. And one of the things he said is that there are interesting themes. And if the professional doesn't work with anything like the power of Lefemme Nikita, it is because the heroine is 12 years old and we cannot persuade ourselves to ignore that fact. It colors every scene, making some unlikely and others troubling. So because I scanned through a bunch of reviews and the bad ones were mainly the they didn't buy the Natalie Portman character and they thought the Gary Oldman performance was over the top. Uh, maybe I'll give him the first one, but I love Gary Oldman's performance in this movie. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not on board with the second bit of criticism there. Yeah, I, I'm not. Over I'm the not top. On board they haven't with seen that true romance. Him as Drexel is like over the top. <laughs> you want Oldman yeah. over the top? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't nobody try to restrain Gary Oldman. Seriously. He knows what he's doing. He's fantastic. Yeah. But no, I, 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 I buy the story. I mean, okay. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen, but I, I buy it. Yeah. I read a review, Stephen Ray from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He said, ultimately like La Femme Nikita, there may be less here than meets the eye, but what does meet the eye is pretty darn thrilling. So he had a positive review for it, but it was, he's like, maybe it's not quite as deep in, in, in saying as much as, uh, as it might think. Yeah. So Richard Chickle from Time Magazine, he, he, he really liked it. And he said, this is a Cuisinart of a movie mixing familiar yet disparate ingredients, making something odd, possibly distasteful, yet undeniably arresting out of them. And of course, again, with Gary Oldman, he praised his performance as being divinely psychotic, which I, I love. So, yeah. you know, I, I, maybe you either love it or you don't. And I'll take it at that. I loved it. You mean Gary Oldman's performance specifically? Uh, the, the whole movie. Yeah. I loved it back when I saw it and watching it again for the first time in a long time. I loved it again. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I'm probably not as high on it as the two of you guys is where I think we're going to end up. That'd be my guess. Yeah. So let's just get this out of the way. How do you guys or how does Matilda's crush on Leon make you feel as the fathers of preteen and teen girls? But let me ask you this. How does it make you feel even though you have no kid? <laughs> I asked the question first. Um, Marcus. So I have a 11-year-old girl. And I don't... The thing with Matilda, like her character is so like street smart already. She's coming from a very like difficult home. She's coming from uh, the streets of New York. So like, you know, children growing up in New York City are a little more street smart than say children growing <laughs> up in the suburbs. Uh, Cul-de-sac smart. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't see, even though uh, Natalie Portmore is 11 and my daughter's 11, when this was filmed, my daughter's 11, I don't see, it seems like there's a much bigger gap. So I don't see that connection quite as much there. The crush part that she had on Leon, I didn't see it as anything it just seemed more not harmless because she had a crush, but it didn't seem like it was like um, it seemed believable. Like seemed like okay, like she thinks she's in love with this guy because he saved her, but it's not. It didn't seem like anything really sexual. Like it doesn't seem like she even knows what it what it means to a certain degree, right? She see, still seems somewhat clueless. Dave, uh, I'd say if, if I just found the whole thing a little bit uh, unpleasant. I guess is how I would think about it. And I was happy to get past some of those scenes. You know, it's an interesting moment of tension in the movie. I, apparently, uh, Jean Reno ended up playing it purposefully as if somebody, as if his character was a little bit emotionally stunted and uh, purposefully with the idea that he, that would give him the cover as if there was never any, any uh, possibility of his character actually getting involved with Matilda. Like that was, he specifically was playing the character in a way to try to remove a little bit of that tension from the situation. But, you know, I, I mean, I don't really necessarily, I don't, I, I myself am not attracted to the idea of 12 year olds hooking up with people in their mid 30. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so you're saying so you're I, I was, normal? I was, happy, I was happy when those, I was happy when the dress scene, for example, was done. I just, you know, I didn't need to linger there any longer than the film did personally. Were you white knuckling it the whole time? 
No, I just, you know, I mean, I had not seen this movie in a long time, so I forgot exactly where it went, but I recall that Leon was not going to take advantage of the situation, so I knew there was no real impending threat of seeing any of that, but still, what was interesting is the fact that probably the when I saw this movie, I'm sure I saw the American version, which was called The Professional, and it runs uh, 151 minutes, and so it was 25 additional minutes that were actually in the French version, and the scenes that they cut out, a lot of it had to do with the interaction between Leon and Matilda. So, for example, that dress scene in the, the American release was cut in its entirety because when they screened the film for, when they were doing uh, you know screenings with American audiences, those scenes made people uncomfortable and they ended up cutting it for the U.S. release for that reason. Yeah, I, I, which is great because I don't remember that either. And I do remember I, when I watched this this time, this first time I'd seen the extended version and... I was definitely more uncomfortable watching those scenes than I remembered yeah. uh, when I watched the watched it originally. They they specifically cut those scenes because the audience was like like laughing nervously in the theater, right? And and it was like ruining the the whole tone of the movie. I think I think Jean Renault played it very well. I think his it was very smart of him to play. Like he he's almost like I think I had a question. Like is he is he slow? Like is he like stunted? Is he you know? He is well. I mean he he admits that that's he was playing the character that way yeah. purposefully. And I think it works out well because at no point did um, did it feel like he was going to take advantage of the situation or any sort of anything would happen at all. So I, I felt like it felt safe watching it that you knew like he's not going to he's a decent enough guy that he's not going to be like, he'll let her shoot herself. Maybe <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I, you know, kudos to John Renault for, for doing that. And I think it was really, um, a smart choice because like, you know, it did make the audience relax a bit. Like you're not, if it was somebody else, yeah, you might be thinking that he's going to take advantage of her. But the other thing about that is that, this possibility of a physical relationship was like not even conceivable. And he, um, while acting with Natalie Portman during those scenes, like he let her be emotionally in control of those scenes. And which I thought was really interesting, especially considering she was, you know, 11 or 12 years old at the time. And, and she is so amazing in those scenes. Uh, I don't even know what to say. It's, she's amazingly impressive in this movie as a as a young actor, just blowing the doors off of it for sure. Yeah. Now, I read some things about the original script, and I don't know if they're true or not. But if they are, yeah, they actually did. They did have sex. That that was in the original, the first script, apparently. Yeah. Which. <sighs> and and apparently they changed her age, or her age in that script was thirteen or fourteen. But then. Here's where this gets a little weird for me because I had done a little bit of research before I I watched the movie and you know Besson himself was involved with a 15 year old girl. Not he wasn't right? involved with her. He married her at 16. It's kind of like the Woody Allen when you if you were to rewatch Manhattan right now, you probably have a different perspective on that film than maybe if you were just going in cold. So I don't know. There's a certain I I I just need to. There's a a little line of skeeziness that runs through this film that I, it does not necessarily uh, you know make me terribly comfortable I guess overall and and also knowing the history of the director in terms of his personal life and all that so that's where all of it's a little bit 
Eh, for me, there, there's an element there that may, just makes me slightly uncomfortable. Well, I, so I did not learn about this until after I watched the movie again. But when I read that, I immediately just thought, like, if, if you're looking for the pedophiles, just look behind the camera. And he was 34 when he married her. They had a baby the next year. This is... That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, honestly, and I'm like, eh, looking at this overall movie, it does affect my experience watching this movie. It just does. And then it, had I not read that before I started watching the movie or rewatching the movie... I might have a different opinion, but it just, it had an impact on me. Yeah. You know, like my esteem for Luc Besson was just dropping and dropping. Yeah. Sort of tying into that, um, you know, with this original script and everything, he wrote, Luc Besson wrote it pretty quickly. I think he had this idea for a while, but this is what I found like very interesting is that he was actually in production or maybe pre-production of The Fifth Element, which came out in, what, 97? That that film sort of got delayed because Bruce Willis, his his schedule was off. And so rather than, like, you know, um, sending everyone home and, 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 and stopping this creative energy, he just, just pivoted and, like, in 30 days wrote the script to this movie and then they shot this movie, they, they, they filmed this movie, which I think is incredible. It's, like, have you heard of that before? Yeah, I think um, he's worked with the same crew for a lot of his films, too. The same cinematographer, same musician and stuff. So I think uh, maybe it's natural just to like have two going. I don't know. That's certainly one way that you would be able to immediately pivot to something else. Yeah. And the, I think the other interesting part is that he actually filmed this in two different countries, right? So all yeah. of the interior shots of the apartment are actually filmed in France and then in they went back to New York to do some of the external stuff. Yeah, it's one of the things I really love about the movie um, is that it kind of could be in Paris, right? It, it doesn't have to be in New York. It could be almost in any kind of big city. It, it kind of feels more like a European city and more like Paris than it does New York. <laughs> well, for me, and I had this question, like, is this an American movie or is this a French movie? And uh, I'll, I'll let you answer, but... I, um, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. So you think it's just both? It feels well, more. I think so. I mean, yeah, it feels more like a French movie to me, but it's not. That wouldn't. It's like 55, 45. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, like, it feels like an American movie, but it's just, a, you know, it's a, a French director, right? But the subject matter is um, just a bit, um, I, I don't know, questionable. <laughs> But then you've also got like this highly corrupt police. To me, that seems a lot more French. So if you had, if this movie had taken place in France, I would probably buy it a lot more than I do now. But but that's also one of the reasons why I really liked the movie because it was very different. It's not like something I'd ever seen before. Yep. Um. So just talking about the um the locations uh i i really loved uh, where they filmed this i mean yeah the the a lot of the, most of the interiors i think are were in in paris but it doesn't seem that way because like uh you know where they're at matilda's uh apartment i love this building um you know it's got that huge center open stairwell 
and these wide hallways. It's really... Luc Besson loves shooting stairwells, by the way. <laughs> well, there you go. He really does. Yeah. And so, and it's got these um, really gritty looking apartments that are in a lot of need of work. You know, there's a lot of peeling paint and everything. Um, it just, it feels like this old, old, like, you know, 90s era gritty New York. And so does the the exterior. You know, that actually is New York. But that apartment building, that's the Chelsea Hotel, which I did not know beforehand. But apparently, you know, it's a very, very famous hotel. It's more famous for its grit than its glamour. And it was like the home to artists and musicians like um, Leonard Cohen and Julian Schnabel. Um, but the other thing I found really interesting is that the Gary Oldman connection, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, because of Sid and Nancy? Right, because... Gary Oldman played Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy, and this is where Nancy Spungen was murdered by yep. Sid Vicious. So interesting twist. I'd never known that before. Uh, I don't know that the Sid Vicious thing has actually been definitively proven, by the way. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I just wanted to call it. I, I really liked the uh, the soundtrack to uh, this movie. Um, there's two songs in particular um, during the. I guess it's the training and work montage. There's this Bjork song, uh, Venus as a Boy, that has always just sort of stood out in my mind, and I really liked it. Um, and then, of course, at the very end of the movie, um, the you know Sting's song, Shape of My Heart, um, I just absolutely – like that's one of the my favorite end credits movie songs. It just – I don't know. There's something there. It's very – powerful very emotional uh and i've always i think that that might have been the first time i'd heard that song and uh and i've always loved it since yeah it's good also, i think in addition to that the actual score i think is actually really good yeah so the yeah agree. i think the, the, the i think the score does a really nice job of building tension in certain scenes and i think that there are several moments where it sort of overlays the ongoing relationship and the development of the relationship between the two leads. And I, I think it's, I think it's very effective in, in channeling emotion, right? So, so sometimes it goes a little bit whimsical and then sometimes, you know, during the shootouts, it's very tense. Uh, I think the score is pretty effective. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. I think the music also gives it that European feel to it also. So uh, how about Luke Besson? So in general, what do you guys think about Besson? Marcus? Well, before hearing his, uh, his, uh, his past <laughs> his romantic interest i was gonna say once we relayed that information to you looking at you do look slightly shocked actually you look, I, I did you look not like you got knocked it. off off basis a little bit <laughs> i did i did not i did not have that information so i was uh, surprised by it um i think he's good i don't think he's not one of my favorite directors like his movies i like but i'm not like in love with uh fifth development i think i enjoy i haven't seen it in a long time so it'd be another interest we wanted to revisit um, I think I did see Lucy recently. That was one with um, uh, Scarlett Johansson, right? Scarlett Johansson, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I remember liking that one too. But they're also they're enjoyable movies, but nothing amazing. And I think I think this is for me. This is his uh, favorite work. I did see he also did write uh, Taken and the Transporter movies. I thought those were interesting. I like his writing better. Oh, really? than I, his, I didn't uh, know that movies. he wrote Taken. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's he's written um, Taken, the Transporter, obviously point of no return he, he he actually has written quite a lot more than he has directed i think he yeah. Yeah. i think he'd said something early in his career about only wanting to direct 10 films and 
much like Tarantino. And then I was going to say, is that where Tarantino got the idea? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I look at his filmography. I, like I said, I never saw La Femme Nikita. Um, but oddly, I actually like the fifth element, even though it's a very sort of over the top sci-fi movie, sci-fi action movie. And it was one that I never thought I was going to enjoy, but I've actually watched it on several occasions and it, I find it to be it's it's whimsical nature to actually be fairly appealing, uh, but I really I some of the recent films that he's done like Lucy and Anna I really liked a lot. Um, I did not see Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets because that looks horrible. I just sort of assumed it was awful. Yeah. Um, did you see it, Dave? No, I didn't see it, and I'm interested that uh, if you really like The Fifth Element, I would assume that maybe you'd want to check that out. I don't know. Just the, the I, when you say the city of a thousand planets, you've just lost me because that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just like sounds like bad sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, the funny thing for me is, I actually was interested in Luc Besson a long time ago, or very early on, and that was primarily because of Highlander. So Christopher Lambert being in Highlander, and then he made a movie called Subway, and I remember seeing the posters for that movie somehow, and being really curious as to and wanting to track that movie down. And I think it came out in 1987. So that was a very early... So I actually tracked the stuff that Basson was doing relatively early. So that and The Big Blue. So I was interested in him as a filmmaker. Primary, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen Subway. I guess probably not, right? No, but is that the one where uh, he's got like a... like like platinum blonde hair like a shock of like you yeah. know white hair and yeah. it's, he's going through this underground world and he meets all this, these interesting characters it's kind of it's a very almost like gritty version of the fifth element in some respects in terms of just all these different you know weird caricatures of people and that he's running into can't say that it was a great movie and i think i was a little disappointed when i finally saw it uh but then you know saw the big blue which is also a really interesting movie that's very the the photography the underwater photography in that movie is quite captivating but the overall subject matter was like, meh. And then uh, I myself am not a fan of The Fifth Element. I do not like that movie at all. <laughs> that movie drives me insane. <laughs> That's one of those movies that just, it, it's in that kind of that grouping of sort of the weird Terry Gilliam type aesthetic yeah, and yeah. just the over the top nature of the whole thing and the costuming. Like I think Gary Oldman in that movie is kind of wasted, honestly. That's an example of just it. So The Fifth Element is not for me. Uh, and but I do like some of his other films. Like I, I really do like Nikita. So I think the, I think Nikita is actually a gritty, really interesting film. And the interesting thing about that is I got to know Jean Renault through that movie because it had one of the early death scenes that I recall watching in a film and being kind of freaked out by it because I don't know. It, it, so I think they they duplicate this in Point of No Return, but there's somebody who's not quite dead and they're in a bathtub and the idea was they were, they were going to dissolve them with acid and they start pouring the acid on them and the body starts kicking like they're still alive. Yeah, and the solution for that, the cleaner is basically just to pour more acid directly on their head, oh. right, their face basically to kill them. And I found that death to be incredibly disturbing when I saw it. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that always stuck with me. And so the fact that Jean Renault was the guy doing that, that just really stuck with me. That's just one of those one of those movie deaths that I've never quite, you know, that, or it was definitely affected me more than just your average like Schwarzenegger violence or something like that. Yeah, he plays ruthless really well. Marcus, would you rather yeah. die by having acid poured on your head while you're still alive or having a chainsaw go th right through your head and bisect your head? chainsaw i think it'd be quicker uh, i think the, the chainsaw oh, no. the chainsaw yeah. wins out again <laughs> who's not going to take chainsaw in that situation me 
Ever since I saw um, uh, the uh, Evil Dead remake, no, <laughs> no, 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 you know Tony Montana. Um, uh, 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 oh, Scarface. 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 Ever since yeah. I saw Scarface, and the and the Colombians come in and they put a chainsaw <laughs> through the side of the guy's head in the shower. Yeah. So, oh no, no, no chainsaws <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, about Basan though. I mean, he has a really fantastic visual style. So that's one thing that is definitely consistent in this movie is. There's a lot of really interesting shots. And the, the two shots that I always think about him is one is the falling shot. So he has lots of, fall, you know, the, the fifth element is a good classic example of that where, you know, she falls and lands in the cab. Yep. And yep. then yep. all the all the all the shots of somebody's face, like the perspective of going up on a face. You see that in a lot of his films as well. So that's those are two. Like if I was to say, oh, you know, what's a what are what's a Bisson film? That would be something that I would say is that I think of when I think of him as a director. Yeah, he also does like some like tracking shot, like the stairways, like the, uh, the the patterns in the stairways and the tracking shots. He's done that a couple, yeah. I think. You know, and I mentioned this with the gross point blank, but I do like assassins. So <laughs> the fact that he has these female assassins that have, you know, all the gear, all the weapons. I thought Anna was actually a pretty good movie. I enjoyed that. And I, I didn't think Lucy was quite as good. Casting call. So we have Gene Reno as Leon. <laughs> Also known as Jean Reno. He's uh, I'll just say that I love this guy and yeah. everything I've seen him in. <laughs> that would be my quick summary. So the movies that Im- immediately come to mind, I mean, obviously Ronin, he's in Mission Impossible. He's, you know, he, he's in Nikita as the cleaner, obviously. And then he pops up in a whole bunch of stuff. But there's just something about Jean Reno with this quiet, focused, calm. I mean, he can, he, you know, he can bring some bigger energy. Like he think he does that in Mission Impossible, but... I just, he's one of those guys that I immediately love when I see him on screen. Always happy to see him. No, I totally agree. He definitely has a very, like, serious demeanor. And you definitely take him, like, he's intense. And he brings it, like, very, very well. And it's believable, too. Like, he he comes across not goofy or anything like that at all. Yeah, he has has a a quiet intensity. Yeah, That's how I would describe him. And he's not, and he doesn't do it, like... He's probably tall, but he doesn't seem like he's not a physically imposing. He's not like super buffed. He's not anything. He just like he's able to carry his presence uh, with that with that strength. He's dark and lanky. Yeah, yeah. I really like him uh, as well as an actor. I really like him, and this is probably you know the one that does it for me. I think the other ones that come to mind, same as you said, like Ronan, uh, is probably my second favorite. But in what he does in this movie, I think is really really cool. Because his he he when he's not in character, and what I mean that what I mean by that is I think he he sort of plays two characters. When he's when he's the assassin, he he gets into character, and he becomes like you know this this professional. Right? He puts on his sunglasses. He puts on yeah. His it's cap. almost like a costume transformation. Yeah, yeah he puts yeah. on this trench coat and he goes to work. And he is just like you know don't fuck a professional because he, he yeah and he as we especially as we see in the first scene and the final scene like you don't fuck with this guy right but then when he's not in character he has a somewhat innocent and childlike expression on his face you know like when he goes to meet tony he's like not the same guy and and i thought that was really really well done and like you had mentioned earlier dave you know he's he's sort of playing it as like he's a little maybe mentally slow or he's autistic. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think like being on the spectrum, I think makes a lot of sense because if he was slow 
you know, like how could he do these things, right? How could he get into character? But it's sort of like, oh, what's the movie with um, Ben Affleck? Where the he, Accountant. The Accountant. It's maybe sort of like that, except in this case, in his, you know, he, he's he's just a little mm, more innocent in his normal self. Yeah. Very basic. I like that movie, by the way, The Accountant. I'm not, Marcus, have you seen that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah, a good movie. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. More assassins. Uh, all right. And apparently, I <laughs> guess, uh, so Mel Gibson and Keanu Reeves both expressed interest in playing the role. But Luc Besson said he specifically wrote the part for Jean Reno. Yeah. And also, De Niro was considered. Yeah, I, I saw that De Niro was considered. Yeah, De Niro would have been too intense. Like, I don't think he would have done the, the softer parts of it well. And I don't, I don't think De Niro would have worked well in terms of the relationship with Matilda. Yeah. I don't see that really <laughs> no. flowing that well. No. Yeah. No. No. Uh, okay, so you have Gary Oldman as Stansfield, and I just love Gary Oldman in this movie. Here's the thing. I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan. <laughs> I just... <laughs> So seeing him, especially early Gary Oldman, because I, I think of Gary Oldman as having two acting periods in his life. And he has a lot of fun, crazy energy characters early in his career. And then when he moves on to later in his career, he has, you know, Commissioner Gordon. Obviously, he plays Churchill in The Darkest Hour and a pretty amazing performance, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but would highly recommend it. But then when you go back to some of the stuff in the beginning, of course, you also have Drexel in True Romance. That's fantastic. <laughs> <And> so I just, <laughs> you know, there's, I, I love Gary Oldman. I've always loved Gary Oldman. And there's something about, I, I think his energy, I kind of think of it as focused crazy. That would be how I would describe it, right? An energy where he's kind of crazy over the top, but he's also slightly in control. I don't know, even really know how to describe it, but I love Gary Oldman. <laughs> no, yeah, no, he, I'm with he, you. He's, he's fantastic. He's, he's totally awesome. And yeah, he like like ate up these characters in the nineties where he was like these borderline psychotic villains. And then, and then like he like shifted, he just like totally pivoted. So like in the nineties he did, he was like, he played Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK. And then he played Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I actually, I I only watched that movie to watch Gary Oldman. He's, he's so great. Uh, And then of course, Drexel and Romance, uh, Sansfield. Um, the guy from the fifth element, Zorg, and then the, the Russian, um, uh, terrorist in air force one. He's so great at these roles. Yeah. Yeah. And you forget the, uh, corrupt cop in Romeo is bleeding, which well, by the not, way, to. that's the movie that I very closely associate with this movie. So for, I don't know exactly, they must've come out similar time or I'm not sure, or maybe it's just the Gary Oldman connection. Yeah. No, yeah, but same there's. Year. Uh, and I was as, as I was watching this movie, I'm like, why am I having this? You know, why am I thinking about this? Why am I thinking about this? He plays a corrupt cop in both films, so maybe that's part of it. But I, I actually kind of want to go back and watch Romeo is Bleeding. Yeah, no, same thing. I, I, I remember when Romeo is Bleeding came out, and I, I I thought it was that I'd seen The Professional, and then I was like, oh my God, Gary Oldman's so great. I, got a, I wanted to see Romeo is Bleeding, and I was disappointed a, a little bit. Yeah, I want to watch it again. It's actually free on Amazon Prime. But I feel like it's just going to be a letdown again. Yeah. That's, I think it was a letdown when I saw it. I imagine if I watched it again, probably still a letdown. <laughs> yeah, but so. it's free, so <laughs> I just might do it. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's just so fantastic in this movie. I love, like everything he does, when he, every time he takes that, that little pill, just the way that he like contorts yeah. his body and, and everything and, and then like bites down on it. It's, yeah. It's just. It's golden. It's like you immediately can't get that out of your head. You're, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. And I I was really surprised. 
that he actually improvised a lot on the set. Like that when he first meets, when you first see him, right. And he, he goes up to uh, Matilda's dad. Right. And he like smells him, <laughs> which is like so odd. Yeah. But um, Michael uh, Bataluka, who is the, uh, the actor, he was like totally caught off guard by this and he felt really <laughs> intimidated. And so yeah. and that like translated into his performance and he was like genuinely nervous during That's that funny. scene. Yeah. And then of course, which I don't know, I totally forgot about this line, but apparently it's like everyone comes up to Gary Oldman with this, but during the raid at the end, the cops, you know, the SWAT team is, is getting their asses handed to them. And then, so Stan says like, he's, he's like, Benny, bring me everyone. And Benny says, what do you mean, everyone? And old, and he just goes, everyone! <laughs> and apparently... That's pretty good, by the way. Thank you, thank you. And I just like, I saw that again, and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. He totally improv that. He like, he apparently during rehearsals, he just said everyone like normal speed, normal tone, then he, he, he like tipped off the sound guy and he's like, he gave him a cue that he was going to do it. So that went right before he did that. The sound guy to take his headphones took off. his headphones off <laughs> and he did that. And Luke Bassad like fucking loved it. That's yeah. I, that's just such. It's good su- stuff. Such a good, such good stuff. Yes. Much love for Gary Oldman yeah, on he, this pod and in this film. Yeah, seriously. He's so good. Uh, so you have Natalie Portman and this is her screen debut as matilda and i it's to think this is her first film is pretty crazy because i think her acting in this movie is pretty amazing actually i think she's really good it it is in fact i i I was like wait how was she not nominated i mean i i understand it was not a prestige movie she's a total nobody but man is she awesome or not I, yeah, she's really just, good in it. Like, especially like at eleven years old. Like, I can look at my daughter now and be like, "How can you be the same age as like that?" You know, just yeah, seems like but, such a yeah. Like, she has, I mean, such command and control is what this feels like. And for everything that she's doing, you really are buying into what her character motivations are at any given moment. And it's and a lot of the subtle stuff in terms of some of the interactions with Leon and going back and forth. And there are moments where she. You know, you see vulnerability. There's the the great moment where she's walking towards his door and, you know, where she's trying to walk past her apartment to avoid getting killed. All those moments are just, it's it's super impactful. I mean, it's a very impressive acting performance. I, I mean, regardless of the fact that she's 11 and it's her first movie, I mean, just in general, yeah. it's really good. <laughs> no, exactly. Just in general. it's it, You're yeah. sort of amazed at... Now, she had done, I think, some stage work before, but this is her, her first movie. Oh, my God. Like 20 years later, 30 years later. Just wow. Well, and apparently she beat out 2,000 other actresses yeah. for the role of Matilda, which uh, that seems like a very broad net to cast I, for, uh, or to yeah. uh, when you're we're trying to cast this film, but she crushed it. Yeah, two of those she beat out Liv Tyler. She was 15 and deemed too old. And Christina Ricci also auditioned for it. Yeah, but yeah, you, Christina Ricci says that she tends to get all the roles that Natalie Portman turns down. that's kind of funny (laughs) that's funny next level for what you would assume somebody like this is their first movie no you you look at her and say oh you've been doing this for a while like that's what that feels like when you're seeing just the the general energy and the you know kind of the nuances of her performance for sure oh yeah yeah, i just recently watched uh v for vendetta and it was uh she's fantastic in that too 
Oh, she's great in that movie. Yeah. The movie's a lot better but, than I remember it too. Like I remember enjoying. No, the it. movie's it's, fantastic. Actually, yeah, it we still should, really holds I, up. That, that's on my list of potential picks. Honestly, yeah, definitely holds what, up. What What are your favorite uh, Natalie Portman films? The, the ones that you think about when you think about Natalie Portman. Yeah, I mean Black Swan from an acting perspective for sure. I mean that's a pretty impressive performance. I think she, I think well, she won the Oscar. She won the Oscar. <laughs> so just not my it, opinion. So, yeah, yeah, and it was. Yeah. I, I have to say, like, she was a pretty amazing in that. Yeah, yeah. But, my, my but what do you Natalie, think about my favorite Natalie Portman um, performance? Are the two SNL skits? We're sitting here today with film star Natalie Portman. Hello. So, Natalie, what's a day in the life of Natalie Portman like? Do you really want to know? Please tell us. I don't sleep, mother off that yak and that Durban, doing one twenty, getting who while I'm swerving. Damn, Natalie, you a crazy chick. You shut the up and suck my. I'm busting dudes' mouths like gushers, mother Roll up on NBC and smack a s*** out, Jeff Zucker! What you want, Natalie? To drink and fight! What you need, Natalie? To f*** all night! Don't <laughs> Natalie's rap. What you want, Natalie? To drink and fight. What you need, Natalie? To fuck all to night! To fuck all night! <laughs> oh, my God. That's uh, so good. Yeah, Colin, what's yours? Well, I had, yeah, the Natalie rap was is definitely on my list, but of course, like he, you know, it's not that it's not my, one of my favorite performances of hers, but we love that movie so much. Um, so I was thinking about her, but Beautiful Girls, she's, I think, just amazing in that. She sort of steals the show. And then um, Garden State is... Yeah, Garden State was going to be mine. Yeah. That's probably the yeah. top of the list for me. It's, that's one of my favorites. And then odd, oddly enough, I, people don't really tend to i guess give a lot of props to the thor movies but i i actually really like her in thor Man, i think she's all See, right you're, I think you're, just, you go back you're and watch. just like sort of shaking your head well you know it's not so much her but when you go back and rewatch that first thor film eh, it's a little shaky <laughs> but I, I, I think I in think the it... context why am i defending the mcu here but i think in the context <laughs> because the, they've so like uh, like nailed these movies and nailed the format and how to do them. And that, that movie was like one of the first ones that they'd done, you know, sort of trying to figure it out as they went along. I think it's good. I've seen it a few times and I'm not an MCU guy. Yeah, no, I think she's fine. She's in love and thunder by the way, which is the next Thor sequel that's coming out. And that's directed by uh, Taika Waititi. So I'm I'm actually very, I'm very excited about that because yeah. he also did uh, Thor Ragnarok, which is a fantastic movie. Yes. And, and it just unleashed the Chris Hemsworth comedy potential. So maybe maybe he'll do the same thing for Natalie Portman. Maybe she's a you know closet comedian and we had no idea. Have you not seen the Saturday Night Live skits? I know. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> He's fantastic. Uh, okay. Then the only other person to mention maybe is uh, Danny Aiello as Tony. And my note on here was, does Danny Aiello age? That was my question because it seems like he's been the same guy going back to you know do the right thing all the way through now, and you know I just uh, it's he always looks the same, and he's always very dependable to to bring a really strong performance. So I think Danny Aiello is somebody that just I don't know makes you probably happy when you see him on screen, but I I do like Danny Aiello. Well, who doesn't? It's Johnny Camerari. No, but he, yeah, he, you're he, right. He does a great job in the role. Uh, yeah, I, every scene that he's in, I I really like. And you're not, sometimes you're just not really sure, you know, does he really have uh, Leon's best interests at heart? You know, it's like, I'll, t- I'll keep your money for you. And I'll, yeah, I'm I have that as a question, honestly, at the end, and, but and yet, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, yeah me either, but 
he, I mean, if he was a bad person, then he just never would have given Matilda the money at all. Yeah. I think, I think he's supposed think, to be that anyways too, right? Like he's no, he is, to be yeah. a little bit questionable. He's like, he's a mobster. I mean, what do you yeah. want? And he, you know well, what the, the greatest Danny Aiello role is though, right? Sal? Tommy Hudson Hawk? From Hudson Hawk. Oh God. No. <laughs> uh, miscast. Everyone in that movie miscast. Would you like to sing on this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on you guys, between you guys on that one. So it, it maintains a nostalgic, warm place in my heart. Huh. I love it. Mm. All right, anybody else in the cast you want to hit? Michael Balduki was definitely familiar. Like when he came on, I'm like, oh yeah, the guy from that TV show. I can't. He's of. like he went from lawyer. one of those, yeah, one of those lawyer shows like Boston Public or Boston Legal. I think it, was, Boston I think it Legal. might have been The Practice. The Practice. That's it, The Practice. With Dilmar Maroney? Dylan McDermott? Yeah. Dylan McDermott. One of those guys. <laughs> Dermott Mulroney. D.B. Sweeney. You know. All right, Marcus, you want to hit us with a plot summary? 12-year-old Matilda's family is murdered, and she's rescued by Leon, a professional assassin whose best friend is a houseplant. <laughs> what happens? It's accurate. Yeah, that's just completely accurate. All right. Opening questions. Marcus. Is Gene Kelly the greatest roller skating dancer ever? Yes, right? That's amazing. That was pretty that was pretty impressive. I don't think so. I think it was someone from Xanadu. Uh actual question. Did the Wachowskis rip off Leon's look from Neo? The strapped up trench coat guns. Yeah, it's it's funny because when you see Leon's when you see the whole Yeah, his first trench coat the, open. The, the the gear like exactly when Neo pulls open his jacket in the lobby. Very, very similar. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and he actually goes into a lobby and uh, takes a couple walks of walks through like, a metal detector. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was interesting. There was some, there were some callbacks that you're like, Hmm, maybe they were watching this movie. The Wachowskis were watching a lot of movies in 94 and 95 yeah. is what I feel. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, well, my question is, is Leon, we kind of talked about this before, but is he on the spectrum? Cause there's something that's not quite right about him. I think we all agree with that, right? He's definitely a bit slow. I don't know. I maybe, but he's also very damaged, so. I think that's also, yeah, I was going to say that's part of it. Because his you, when he tells his story, like he was just 19. Like he's just frozen at that, like kind of 19-year-old and doesn't know how to like move past that. Right. Like he seems very vulnerable and like Tony's his father figure to him. And he's just kind of reliant on, he's like, okay, I can do this job, but I can't do like anything else. I just have this routine and I can't do anything beyond that. Right. He is, he is he's definitely like traumatized by what happened to his love yeah, and then what he did. And, and so, yeah, I think there, there's, there's maybe it's just more of that than being on the spectrum. Then again, well, like then he walks around and like, sometimes like it literally he's, he looks like a child, his face. Yep. So, well, and do you think the milk is specifically intended to represent somebody who is more childlike? Oh, because they drink or milk looking to you know get get sued out of drinking milk. Do you think that's the reason why it's milk? No, I was thinking it was just like trying to to show he's not he's not an alcoholic. He doesn't drink. He's not like he's just very like bland. He's just very straight and narrow, like kind of like a glass of milk. Yeah, I, I thought the I mean I thought the milk thing was a little bit overdone. Honestly, a yeah, little bit a too much emphasis on the milk thing throughout this whole movie. The only good part is when I like, coughed up the milk, like when she said, like I think the first time she said, I love you, <laughs> he just like coughed up all the words. So. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> all 
Uh, okay, so I had one question, one other question, which is, what is the actual plot of this movie in regards to the criminal activity that's taking place? Is it simply that Stansfield is knocking off drug dealers and then reselling the drugs? Is that really what it comes down to? Because it's never necessarily clearly articulated throughout the film. So you know Stansfield's a little bit of like a wild, crazy dude, and they do show that he has partnered with somebody who is you know, cutting the drugs or holding the drugs for him. But beyond that, like, what's the actual, like, what activity is happening here? I, I think you nailed it. Yeah, I think they're, he's they're, taking drugs from evidence and then putting them on the street, reselling them, making money from it. Right, but I think, so Stansfield, it's re- revealed later in the film that he's going to Tony and basically asking Tony to do contract kills for him. So I assume in that case, what he's doing is he's knocking off specific drug dealers so he can steal their stash. Yeah, is that what he's doing? cooperating with them or something like that. Or... Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's okay. too complicated. Yeah. What I wonder is how a DEA agent can be doing having this operation going into people's apartment buildings. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of and, like, and just like shooting like them up, throwing throwing grenades, completely like yeah. destroying like complete areas of you know the yeah. Just it's a little over the top what yeah. they're able to get away with and, with yeah. the complete lack of police response. Yeah, and there's, how about response. shooting a gun at an old lady who opens her door. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and well, how about like going to back to the um, <clears throat> the apartment with a couple of I assume like FBI guys who are questioning him, and he just like blows them off. You know, he's yeah. like, I, I don't have time for this. Yeah, he didn't put a lot, <laughs> a lot of thought into that, which is again why I I sort of think like if this was in France or some country where maybe there was a, more corruption. Sorry, France, um, but a country like that had more corruption in it. Um, it seems like it would be more realistic there. It's hard. It's a bit hard to swallow as it like a DEA agent who's doing that. There's definitely some unbelievability but, in, in, in various scenes and what goes on, yeah, but. but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. So I don't care. No, it was more, more of a curiosity because I realized halfway through the movie, I was like, ah, oh, what is Stansfield doing exactly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a, Drugs for money scam, but we, you know, there is the scene where it cuts to a montage of them offing like 15 or 20 people or whatever it is. And so yeah. you're wondering, it's like, who are these people? Like, why are they getting killed? What's happening afterwards? And they're like, nope, nope, just kill one, kill one, kill one, move on. So yeah. that's when I was kind of a lot of thinking, well, what's really, what's going on here? It was but a brutal anyways. montage, dude. You're just like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Who are these people? Yeah. So, All right. Well, it sounds like we want to talk about the movie. So you want to just jump into this thing? Let's do it. it. So the film opens with him receiving his opening assignment from Tony. I do really like the photography in this moment because this is where you see the close up on his face. He has the glasses on, you know, the cigarette smoke paints a picture of this guy being like there's he's intense, right? That's that's what you get off of the vibe of him sitting at the table. So I think as a character introduction, I think it's it works really well. Yeah, that opening scene, he's in the apartment. He's like sneaking up on the guy and like. He just comes out of the shadows with like the knife and the throat. And it's, uh, it was just like so fantastic. Like that shooting. That was a total was, Michael Myers emerging from the hallway moment. Oh, okay. honestly, <laughs> when you see that. Totally. totally. It was like that's, that's something a, like it was like a horror movie too. And like, yeah, it was, there was a brief horror movie moment there. And then like when they end that shot too, then he just fades back into the shadow and just like disappears. It's like shot super, super well. I, I love that opening scene. They definitely, some of the cinematography and work like that is what I think what elevates it to be a little bit more than a, uh, just a standard kind of thriller. Yeah, I did have a question about the look of the I don't know, hooker or 
whoever that individual was. was that, that, is, that is Luc Besson's wife. Was oh, it? that was Luc Besson's wife? At the, yeah, that was the, the yeah. 16-year-old that he married. Okay, that's even more creepy Weird. than for me, honestly, <laughs> understanding that now. <laughs> so it's a very strange look, and I'm not sure. Anyways, just she doesn't like, always not, look like that. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. The other scene in that that I really liked was the when he killed the guards, like on the was it a balcony? I guess he was out on the balcony, and the the blinds go down and like yeah. And they do this a couple times in the movie, and it's shot really well. It's almost like the kind of Jaws effect. You don't see the action, and it just. Uh, you see the bullet, the bullet holes. holes actually the bullet hole photography in this movie is, is really well done yeah you just see the bullet holes going through the blinds and then like yeah he comes out and you don't like you don't actually see him be badass and they do that a, a couple of different times in the movie and it, it works really effective it just shows off like it makes him even more a killer than than he you know not seeing it not seeing him do all the motions and, and shots is is definitely adds to it i just liked when he when the guy was like looking over the railing and then you see this arm come out, grab his tie, just pull him over. <laughs> That's fantastic. There's like there's a yeah. lot there's a lot of cool kills in this movie. There are some Dave. cool kills, and Leon has a little bit of a Spider-Man edge to him in terms of his abilities, right? Because he's up in the ceiling, oh, yeah, he's yeah. hanging off the you know the in, inside of the stairwell. So they definitely you have to suspend uh, disbelief a little bit well, in terms of his abilities. Well, he does a lot of crunches, man. That's, yeah, he's, that's he does. Yeah, he's, he's yeah he's he's in good physical training. Yeah. What what did drinks you think his, about drinks these? his milk? <laughs> he does. Yeah. What do you think about these uh, quintessentially like uh, '80s bad guys with their their <laughs> long hair and their Uzis? <laughs> the Uzis. The Uzis was like, man, I'm so happy to. What do you think, guys think about the Uzis? Because for me, I'm like, Dated. I'm so happy to not see Uzis anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uzis screams uh, canon action films from the mid eighties. Totally, that's what, that's what totally. an Uzi yeah. means to me. Uh, but the hair is funny. Cause I noticed that same thing. And I was thinking, Oh, remember the terrorists in lethal weapon two? They had, they had a couple of those guys that were rocking sort of that large feathered mullet. You had that in action Jackson as well. There was at least one guy in Die Hard. So apparently if you were a bad guy in the late eighties or early nineties, it's cool to grow your hair long. There's a little bit of a, like a Mike, Michael Bolton, bad guy edge to some of those terrorists or some of the bad guys michael bolton billy ray cyrus just give those guys uzis and they can be instant action stars one thing i did like about that scene i I was kind of curious about why they let the guy live honestly because he kills everybody else but then they let the guy that he's trying to scare get away i was surprised but i I like jean renault's eyebrow work because he's surprised that he lets him live i like that moment right because he hands him the phone, and then he hands him back, and you see the moment, he's like, what? Oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to kill this guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I just like that. I thought that was pretty good. That was a fun little moment. It must have been like a, a mob thing where if he, like he didn't have permission to kill that guy, but he was sending him a message that you do not come back into my territory to, to sell your drugs. Uh, so then you have the New York apartment building, and this is where you're introduced to Matilda, and you find out she's being abused and abused and she's smoking, which apparently one thing that Natalie Portman's parents insisted on was that over the course of the film that she stopped smoking. So they wrote that into the script because they didn't, they didn't want their daughter smoking. And apparently she doesn't actually smoke a cigarette at any point during the film. She simply holds it to her lips. I didn't really notice it one way or the other, but I thought that was an interesting little trivia note. As I say, you can tell like looking at her, she that doesn't know how to smoke. Like, but also I thought it was also part of the character because she's a, 12 year old so like you're not supposed right. to know how to smoke too right no no i, I mean it's, that makes perfect sense to me yeah just when you when you first meet her um like instantly 
you you can tell that there's like something else there. I think to me, like one of the great moments um, is the way that she she shows us her, the shiner that she has in her eye. Yeah, like she she'd been beaten, right? She shows that to uh, Leon, and then she just sort of slowly moves her head so her hair covers it up again. I just yeah. really like how she did that. No, it, it was done. Yeah, really no. Well. That, that. The, the character introductions in this film, I think, are all very strong, at least for the, the main leads, right? Because you think about Gary Oldman standing there with the music. You think about her sitting there with her legs dangling over the stairwell. And, of course, we already mentioned it, but the intro with Leon with the glasses sitting at the table. It's all sort of like, wow, who are these characters? You're interested in these characters in, uh, instantly, which is, I think, one of the strong points of this film. Yeah. And the, oh, the other thing that you see, like, very early on with her and, um, and, and meeting Leon and is that... Um, Natalie Portman has the Kubrick stare down, like she's got it down pat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's really really good. Uh, and then, but then when they when there's some back and forth in the apartment, so she gets a call and she finds out that her parents had prepaid for her to be sent to, I, I assume, a boarding school. That's what this is. But they also mentioned that she left school. So do you think did she run away from school and then run home? I wasn't quite sure what they were trying to like what her what her character was doing at that point. I think she's just cutting school. Right. Yeah, except that she'd been cutting school for two but, weeks, and so <laughs> did she like lie to her parents? Take her back? Did she yeah, lie to yeah. her parents? Like, oh, we're, I'm on spring break. I don't. Her, I, her parents yeah. weren't the best of parents. No, that's true. Yeah. By the way, what is her stepmom's quote unquote job? Secretary. Because she's dressed like a hooker, right? Secretary for she's the secretary for Tony Soprano, a, a, a porno theater. <laughs> I don't know. I was yeah, wondering it's an interesting myself, look. but yeah, hey, just curious. Everyone's got their thing. Uh, and so you see, by the way, so this is where you see Gary Oldman out there and he rattles the cage or the little case where there's some drugs in there. And I was kind of curious what drug he was actually taking. But apparently the trivia note on this one is that uh, the green and yellow capsules Norman Stansfield takes is Librium, a sedative and hypnotic medication of the benzodiazepine class. So interesting. But I don't think that that would actually, if it was a sedative, it doesn't really attract to him kind of cracking it and going out of his mind. So I think that maybe Here, here's uh, I'm the not thing, sure Dave. that that's, a, Here, that's not correct. Here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, like, like all internet sleuths, <clears throat> people went online and they looked up all the green and yellow pills, just like I did. <laughs> and the one, that came, <laughs> the one that came closest was Librium. That, it's just, to me, it's just seeing him take the drug <laughs> and like shake his head and go... Whoa! <laughs> I mean, that's just golden. It's just fantastic. I want to have what he's having. <laughs> well, whatever it is, it works for his character because it's just fun to watch him do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, it is. It's, it's fantastic to watch him do it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, so when Gary Oldman runs into the apartment, he's just killing everybody. That's the other thing, right? So I don't know if it's because he's high, but he's, you know, shooting the daughter in the bathtub, killing the wife. He's just on a just it's just a killing frenzy. Uh, and then, of course, her little brother gets killed, and she's out buying milk. And when she's coming back, that's a really... I think that's one of my favorite single scenes in the film, is where she's walking down the hallway, and you can see her assessing, you know, oh, shit, I need to walk past the apartment, I need to play this off. And then I think the lighting in that film, when when she is standing at the door, and she's desperate to have him let her in, and then the door opens, and you see the the brief flash yeah. of light across her face where it's you know hey this is a moment of salvation or however yeah. you want to 
you know, read that. I just, that particular shot and that particular sequence, I think is, this is one of my favorite ones in the film for sure. For sure. It was super well done. I had that same, same in my notes, like just her, like sitting there crying at the door, like, just please open the door, please open the door. And just like, when it opens, you get that, like she's saved. Like it's, it's definitely a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're right. It's like a standout scene and it tells a, a lot about who this character is because she's, she's like very street smart. She knows to, to walk past, the apartment but then what's she gonna do and it's like well i'm going to leon's and she's like barely holding it together but she's yeah. holding it together and yeah that just i mean she's like her face she's like bawling but she's she's keeping steady and then finally he opens the door good just really well done i'd forgotten about that scene and i was really happy to see it again well and apparently now the apartment could not cry on command initially during when they were doing the filming and so they were putting some mint, like a mint gelatin or something in her eyes to make her mint cry. Oil. And apparently it was so, it was so painful for her that after they did it the very first time, she was able to cry on command anytime the rest of the movie because she did not <laughs> want to get that stuff back in her eyes. So <laughs> that makes sense. There, she's yeah, like, her face is just I, so, her face is so amazingly expressive in that moment. I just, for, again, I'm just blown away that this is her first performance because it's just, it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, no, yeah absolutely. I have to mention the uh, the old lady in the hallway who comes yeah. out oh, yeah. of, her, of her apartment. She is she is so great. She can't lift her head, so she's just gonna like gotta like lean backwards to, <laughs> to look at them. And she's like, "Why don't you leave that family alone?" And then, yeah, Gary Oldman like yeah shoots shoots the wall. She just sort of like looks at it, looks back, and then walks back in her apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it really question at this point because I didn't know Gary Oldman was 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 the police. So it really brought up a question of like, okay, where, like, how is this even happening? How come there's not police like swarming this place? Because they're in there for quite a while, like shooting people. Yeah. Guns going I off. Know. Like no one else is coming out. So that, that was well, a and slight, that's, all right, this doesn't that, that, I mean, that's a consistent realistic. problem throughout this movie, yeah. honestly, because, you know, he's throwing grenades and when, when it's just him doing the hit at one point, like he throws the grenade through the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just, you know, the rapid, there's gunfire all over the place. I mean, it's a little bit over the top in terms of the lack of police response. Yeah. And then I do, by the way, when she gets into the apartment, there are just a couple of little nice touches. One of them being that when she goes to lay down on the bed and he goes to bring her the blanket, he doesn't fold it out on top of her. He just piles it. He just he just <laughs> drops, drops it on, on top of her as as a folded blanket. It's just a nice little moment in terms of his emotional development. You're like, okay, this guy doesn't quite get it, right? Because normally yeah. you'd think, well, maybe he'd you know spread it out and put it over her. So, and then of course there's the moment where he comes back in and holds the gun to her head because he has to assess whether or not he wants to take the risk of this whole situation. So it's a, a, there's just a couple little moments that really flesh out his character in terms of you get to know a little bit more of who this guy is. It's 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 a stark contrast when he, you know, points the gun at her head while she's sleeping, to earlier when he tries to cheer her up with the pig potholder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so then she ends up asking him to train her as an assassin or a cleaner, and he reluctantly takes it on, but they ended up moving apartments. And one of the thing I just like is that from his character in terms of being a professional. So when they go to this new apartment. You know, the very first thing you see him do is go through and he kind of cases the place, right? It's like, okay, where are the windows? Where are the exits? You know, that that sort of thing. So just little, there are a bunch of little tiny character moments for him that I think really play out nicely or, or kind of build on this mythology of him being this really effective killer. So let me ask you a question though. Why does he take it on? 
why, why, why would he agree to do this? Because he's lonely? Like, why would he agree to train her as a, an assassin? I, I think because he feels some level of responsibility. Not, not for her predicament, but the fact that she's, she has nowhere else to go. Yeah, I think he just felt bad. Like, it, she was in a terrible situation, and he had, like, he had no excuse not to. Yeah, and there, there are a couple little montages of them getting to know each other, and there's, of course, the water fight. Uh, my note on this one was that Natalie Portman's bucket management when it comes to dousing somebody with a bucket in a water fight, it's just not good. She just loses control of the bucket completely. So <laughs> she really needs to hold on to it and just get a more firm grip and really release the water. So, yeah, that's that was my one note for uh, Natalie Portman on that one. Just like little, like small, indiscriminate thing. Okay, like, you know, use a rifle. You keep your distance, you can kill them. Like, you can get more experience. You can use a knife, you can get up close and kill someone. Just like, but right. very, like, not like, yeah, that's our job. We kill people. And that's just like, like they, they weren't like overdoing it or underdoing it, you know? And the- yeah, it is interesting to me that her character at no point is seems to be unsettled with the activities that they're undertaking. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly, even, exactly. even including the very first kill. She just brushes it off when he spins and you know puts two bolts to the guy after she hits him with a couple practice shots. Yeah, she's like, oh, well, how do I clean the silencer properly? <laughs> yeah, now, now I was wondering about that because I thought it was really funny that she shoots him with um, the, the paint pellets. And yeah. then he's like, okay, great. And like, now like, go clean the gun. And she spins around. She turns around and goes back to the table. And then he just plugs the guy. So she didn't yeah. actually see it, but... But she knew what happened. She heard it, and she didn't give any two thought, you know, or second thought to it. It was very casual about it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think during that whole montage that she ended up actually killing anybody herself, or do you think that she was always there just witnessing? Yeah, I I think she was always there just helping. Yeah. Like he did all the the dirty work. Yeah. Well, and then just one other question to back up a bit: Why do you think there's a moment where she goes downstairs and she tells the hotel clerk that? He is actually, instead of her father, her lover. Why does she do this? Because she's a troublemaker. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's, there's another thing. So she actually says to the, the hotel clerk, he's not really my father. He's my lover. And I think that's, that's what's going on here is like there's this battle between the, the, this relationship being uh, one of like father-daughter at, or like lover. And ultimately, it's what I, I think it, it is that he is this father figure. You know, she's got this sort of misplaced crush on him. But she may very much, she has this crush, and so she wants him to be her lover. Yeah. Ratting him out, you know, as, for fun, um, I think it just serves to, to say like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to act like he's, he's, he's actually my lover. Yeah. Probably not a good idea because they threw they, they threw them out of the hotel. I'm surprised they didn't call the cops. So it, it flies in the face of what I assume his additional training would be, which is you stay low key. Yeah. Don't try to create trouble. Don't bring attention to yourself, that sort of thing. So that, that was where I was like, well, I'm not sure she's following the program on that one. Well, she's still learning. Come on. Right. And she is 12 to Marcus's point. Uh, she ends up going back to the apartment at one point, and this is where she does find out that Stansfield's a cop. It's where we all find out as viewers. Um, I do like when Gary Oldman is leaving the apartment, though. He steals <laughs> the kid's ball. Like, <laughs> so I just, I thought that was funny. Is, is he just doing that to be, they're just doing that to be, to have him be a dick, right? That's all yeah. they're really doing there. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Like, you didn't know before, like him killing the family is not, <laughs> not enough to make sure you know <laughs> this guy's a dick. That's why I thought it was funny, right? <laughs> it's like, you just, you know, 
you just saw him. He's a now you know he's a corrupt cop. He's involved in this all this kind of stuff. But then just one little cherry on the yeah, top is he's going to for no reason steal a basketball. <laughs> yeah. Um, this does lead then to the Russian roulette scene where, and I know this was cut for the American release, and I'm not sure. This is the one scene in the movie that I'm not totally sure works because I don't quite get what's going on here, right? So she's basically challenging him to admit that you know he cares for her and but then she puts like three bullets in the gun so yeah, there's a 60 percent chance she's gonna russian take herself roulette. out so it seems like it's not even traditional russian roulette i don't know i don't i don't think this scene worked that well for me personally i thought it was a really good scene i thought it was pretty intense it was pretty i think she was just at her limit of like i need to get these guys this is what i want to do if you either you're gonna help me or i'm just gonna end it and like I don't have anything else to live for. It was pretty intense though, too. Like I thought it was, it was well done. I I agree. It was very intense. And this is her way, I think of showing him how serious she is. If, if he's not going to do it, she's going to do it. What'd she say? Like, I want love or death. That's it. And ultimately like he agrees that he's going to, that they're gonna go. They're gonna go down this route, but he's gonna help her. Yeah, so I, I didn't feel there was any genuine tension in the scene. Maybe that's what what I'm reacting to because there was no. I thought it was pretty know, intense. I, I yeah, I did really. Too. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I don't think it was tense at all. Yeah, and and by the way, this is one of those scenes where I think she just really shines. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Like, oh, I, I think the. I mean, I think the acting is good. I just I'm not sure that the material totally works just for me. I mean, you guys see it differently. That's fine. Uh, so then they're out and about and they are doing this montage, which we already kind of talked about. But again, I just think that there's uh, the the moment where he throws the grenade into I know I know that they have to do that because it sets up the the final, you know, what happens at the end with Stansfield. That makes sense to me. That's kind of the reason for it. But I just you know, I, I think the grenades in a apartment a little over the top for casual New York activity. I don't know. I think they <laughs> I think you might get caught. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Also, what's it doing to the floor? Like, isn't gonna blow the like whole apartment below too? And like, I don't know. It seems Well, this guy who was in the apartment just like shot off about a hundred rounds through his door and walls. Like yeah. at that point, you you could just basically say, Okay, we're done being subtle. A grenade. That's that's what's going to work here. Yeah. By the way, that was actually Luke Besson in that room. Oh, was it? Yeah. How yeah, funny. Another scene before that, that was cut out from the original version. The restaurant scene? The restaurant scene. Yeah. This was an interesting scene. That one I didn't think worked as much. I, I yeah. just like that one more. I, I thought the roulette worked more. This one just seemed like kind of goofy. It was a bit over the top. Her crawling over the table and saying how about a kiss like in the movies and no one in the restaurant is like doing anything yeah I mean, well, and also a 12 year old girl chugging, is just swilling champagne she's, right she's chugging yeah. champagne and yeah. no one's no, the waiter doesn't card her like i'm going oh, what <laughs> well and and the laughter seemed forced right so that was of all the acting moments that one yeah. didn't really land oh, for me com- compared to everything else I, I i liked it i mean i I liked that because it's to me it seemed like she really was like she just drank like two glasses of champagne uh, like in about ten seconds and then yeah. she starts laughing and then she she's just giggling and she can't stop and I thought that was pretty genuine but I just don't understand what it did for the movie so 
That one could yeah. have just been cut out. I think they could have just left that one cut. So Matilda goes to the DEA, uh, I guess, building, and she is going to try to kill Stansfield and goes into the bathroom and he ends up, I'm not sure exactly. How do you think he figures out that something's amiss there? He heard her at the, uh, when he told her a special delivery for like 4602 or whatever it was, he mm-hmm. heard her say that. And he's like, wait a minute, why do I have a special delivery coming to my office? He was in the background when she was saying it to the guard. So he was just paying attention and she didn't know. Okay. The, the crazy thing though is when he's in the bathroom and he pulls the snub nose revolver out of his jacket, I was looking at that thing. I'm thinking, my God, that's a huge gun. <laughs> it seemed like really, really big. And so, you know, did the research on it. And apparently it's a Smith & Wesson 629 snub nose combat 44 Magnum. So it's a, it's a snub nose 44 Magnum. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense why it's such a huge looking gun. I can only imagine the recoil on that thing. That must be difficult to uh, difficult to shoot. I guess only 5,000 of those guns were ever manufactured. What I like about that bathroom scene, at least in the beginning, because she's, you know, you're assuming as she's going through the bathroom. By the way, I didn't know. I thought she was just going there to do some reconnaissance. Not so. She was there to do some damage. But as she goes all the way to the end and all the stalls are open except for the last, the one at the end, and then they... They the camera like turns around and then the the door closes and he is hiding behind it. I thought that was a really good scene because I was not yep. expecting that at all. And then, but he boom, he's there. He knew he knew what was go- going down. Yeah, I like the way that movie the that scene is shot in terms of the you know the the POV and the, right. the long bathroom. Mm-hmm. It reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit of uh, Kubrick actually. There was a little bit of it. There was a, mm-hmm. like, a slight yeah. little Kubrick feel to that in my opinion. Yeah. You know how menacing Stansfield is? And so, like, it's just terrifying, too. Like, oh, he's not in the stall. He's right there. He knows, like, Matilda, you're screwed. Like, this is not good. Well, and and the fact that he's just going to shoot some 12-year-old girl right in the bathroom of the DEA building, (laughs) you know, it just kind of reinforces this idea that he's a complete loose cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, is he really going to do that now? They, like, probably just, like, take her out. He's not going to shoot her in the the federal building. No. But then, so Leon does end up rescuing her, and this is where he has a little bit of superpowers, right? Because he's just walking into the DA building in the mid midday, and he yeah. punches out a couple guards, goes upstairs, shoots two guys, rescues her. They leave, no problem. <laughs> so, I mean, I, there's a you guys have spent a little bit of disbelief to buy into it, but whatever, it's fine. He's a very proficient Spider-Man-like assassin. True. What I what I really liked about that though is that. When he busts into that 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 room that they're in, she and he just quickly shoots those two guys. She like jumps into his arms, and the look on his face—it's just like such a sweet look when he finds her and she's safe. And then I love the immediate shot, which is the camera is just looking at their feet, yeah, and her feet are like hanging about a foot and a half <laughs> off the yeah. ground. Yeah while yeah. she's hugging him it's just it's really nicely done so they end up getting home and this is where so he had previously purchased a dress for her and she puts it on and this is where she makes a pretty direct overture for them to have sex and he thankfully chooses not to go for it and then he tells his own story about how he became an assassin and he talks about the fact that he had a you know a woman that he's in love with when he was 19 and that he ended up and then she was killed by I guess it was her, was it her father that killed her? Yeah. Is that what, yeah. 
And then so he ended up killing her father. And this is, I guess, sort of the moment in life where he's stunted at that point. And so he then, you know, went to America to find his own father. Uh, And it's an interesting excuse, I guess, for why he or he provides as an excuse for why they don't want to get together again. And that would they end up, you know, spending the night in bed together. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm perfectly happy when all this is over (laughs) when I'm watching the movie, honestly, just for me personally. Like I would watch the scene again. Uh, yes, it's awkward. It's it's awkward because she actually she says to him, like very closely to his face, you know, a girl's first time is very important. It determines the rest of her life sexually. And I'm like, right? Oh boy! Oh, oh, oh what's going on? Uh oh! <laughs> and she's twelve. I mean, it's a little bit. I mean, yeah, come so, on, yeah, that's yeah, a little. Yeah. But but it's like there's a lot of tension there and awkwardness and like you don't. You don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I mean, I have a sense, like, you know, he's going to, he's not going to do this, but how is he going to uh, sort of um, let her down or let her, you know, and telling that story about like essentially his origin story is an amazing way to shut down an aggressive teen crush. (laughs) Like I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a great way to do it. But she changes after that. Like, yeah. she, like, he let her in. He, he, he exposed his own vulnerability to her. And I think, like, after that, she, like, she, she, like, turned off her, her, uh, her afterburners on going, you know, going after him. It was like, right. Okay. Although I did mention this as a note, and I think uh, Colin and our shared notes, you, called me into question on this one, but uh, she jumps out of bed and I do think that the camera lingers on her ass a little bit too long for, for my comfort. So, and Natalie Portman herself, there are several interviews where she talks about the fact that she was, she regrets certain elements of this film in terms of being overly sexualized. And that's, I think one of the, so some, some of those scenes or some of the scenes that were cut for the American release she references. And apparently, you know, there was like after this movie, there was a, a radio station that was doing a countdown till her 18th birthday and, and shit like that. And it made her pretty uncomfortable. So she does have a few, she has some conflicting um, feelings about this film when you read the interviews about, you know, what happened after this film came I, out. I, I can't blame her. She's getting like, you know, like male describing like, you know, rape fantasies. Uh, that's that's right. awful. Oh my this God. Freaking awful. Yeah. Uh, so the, then it, it goes to the ending raid and the kind of the, the character design of the SWAT team, I think is pretty interesting because they show up in all black. There's nothing on them to indicate that they're, you know, law enforcement and they're all wearing black ski masks. See, so. This is where it feels like a European movie. Like that's, it feels like, no. a, uh, what do you mean? No, I, I don't, it, I don't agree how I feel about it. I can, <laughs> I certainly can, because what do you see nowadays? Like for these, you know, uh, emergency services units and SWAT teams that we have in this country now, that's that's the same freaking uniform. Except well, helmets. They, except helmets, now I they understand, got but helmets. The, no, they wear masks. They're wearing body armor now. This is just the proto uniform for that for today. Uh, this look like more like terrorist, like uh, masks I, on. I, I I sort of agree when you're in 1994. But yeah. and it was a little shocking. I was like, well, "Holy shit!" Because there's like a ton of these guys. Yeah. But, but when I think about it, this is sort of like standard. If you if they all had helmets on these black helmets, um, I don't think you would have had the same thought. But I think it was because they didn't, 
and they just had these ski masks on. That makes it look a little more like terrorists. Yeah. It's a little bit more menacing, actually. I think the absence yeah. of the helmet okay. and the, the ski mask is just, it's, it's more, it is menacing, I think. Marcus, I'll give it to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, by the way, so Marcus, you mentioned the, you know, the trench coat reminding us of Neo when he walks into the lobby. But yeah. there's another scene where he uses an axe to chop through the wall, so to, to cut into the interior of the wall. And if you remember the Matrix, right, they have that scene where they're trying to escape, and that's where Morpheus gets captured. But very similar to that. So she gets out very in a very similar way to how they escape the building in the Matrix. Yes, I Good totally call. agree with you. I, I thought the same thing. The other thing is that, which was really kind of, I, I heard this line in my head when um, I think they, the first time they went in and the, all these guys got shot and it was like, oh shit, like, you know, what's going on? And, the, the, you know, the commander up on the, uh, the SWAT commander is saying this to, over the radio to Stan and and Stan's like, you know, like, I told you you need more men. And all I, th- all I thought was Stan as Agent Smith saying, no, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a little bit of a, we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. I'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking. <laughs> well, there's, there, there is the, um, when, they, when they fire the, um, uh, the, the grenade into, <laughs> yeah. the, into the building or into the apartment. And I'm like, they're using artillery on us. <laughs> well, it's so funny because that's what that's another thing that I think is pretty funny, right? The the cops set up this barrier and they pull out what appears to be a fifty caliber with some front out mounted grenade launcher, and I'm like, oh wow, God. that's pretty. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's pretty know, menacing for overkill. an apartment hostage situation. Yeah, who yeah, are you, I, Mama? I, I <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly, <laughs> it's Mama from Dread. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think funny. that NYPD would have ever done that. But certainly <laughs> if they have, they've changed their tactics. It's like, yeah. it's all about like negotiate. Like you see inside it's like, man, it? it's like set up a perimeter, get the negotiator. Like we're not going to, we're not just going to guns blazing. The one thing I do like about that, though, honestly, is within the film itself is you know, Stansfield, who's obviously a maniac. He's shocked and surprised by the sound of the explosion upstairs. He's like, what the hell's going <laughs> yeah. on up there? So I really like that. Like, that was like, okay. Like, at least this guy is kind of still, you know, somewhat believable in terms of reacting to someone pumping a grenade through a, a door down a hallway like that. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah I really liked also the, the, the first time they went into the apartment. They had, again, the, all the action happened behind the closed door. You just see the, like, yeah. they go in. The door, oh, the bullets, like, the bullet holes? Yeah. Yeah, he closes the door with his hand and the bullet holes and then, like, that yeah, the, the the hanging over the door is just brilliant. I, yeah, I just really cool. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh so then he ends up putting on the uniform of one of the injured officers and that allows him to sneak out. By the way, interesting way for him to get out of there because I had forgotten like how the hell are you gonna get past two hundred people? So hey, you know, good job on that one. He remembers watching uh, Hannibal Lecter in the silence of the lambs exactly yeah he, <laughs> he just took that i was like wait which movie came first yeah good move, yeah, he, good unfortunately, move unfortunately he wasn't wearing a flesh face that was the only negative <laughs> so. but i had a question so so and i think maybe i just answered it in my own head but uh, why do you think stansfield lets him go or follows him and I, and initially i was thinking i don't understand because he recognizes him as not being an officer but he lets him go but then i'm thinking ah yes because he needs an opportunity to kill him to, cl- yeah. to clean up his own or to cover his own tracks, right? So that's why he lets him go and then follows him and, and ends up shooting him. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. he wanted he wanted to kill him. He just didn't, he wanted to do it when no one else was around and looking. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, so when, and when he shoots Leon, one of the things I really like there is it, it replicates 
the flash of light that Natalie Portman had when she came up to the door and he opened the door. So there's, there's this brief moment of that other flash. So it ties into, you know, her, her point of salvation and maybe his point of salvation, which is maybe he was ultimately just craving death. Is that, is that what we can read out of that, that he's happy that his life is over when, when he has the flash? Wait, why do you think he craves death? Well, it's it, so the there's lighting that's very specific to yeah, when you, see, you know, she when has the moment in off, the beginning. It flashes. Yeah. So so when no, the gun goes off, it, it flashes. It's yeah. very it's the exact same lighting. I I know, but why do you think he craves death? What does that have to do with craving death? It releases him from like I I can see that. Like it's it's his salvation. Like death is like he's he's can now escape and he's out of this kind of hell he's been in. Yeah, cuz he's been trapped in this you know repetitious existence of killing people and not necessarily advancing himself at all yeah since i don't think he, he actually enjoys killing people like it's not something he likes to do it's just a job for him like he's, he's just good, good at it. it but it's not something he wants to be doing i don't think yeah well i mean i think he's a pretty sad individual overall i mean certainly matilda you know finds some bit uh, some life within him but i still don't think that he's necessarily a really happy guy yeah well he he definitely found life within it i mean he he said like when he's right before they 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 separate he says you know you've given me a taste for life i want to sleep in my own bed i want to put down roots uh i really like that that was another that was very um, powerful and emotional scene where like be, when she's in that whatever that was that in the wall yeah and yeah and by be- the way did you know in the original script apparently so Leon gets shot, and then it's Matilda who pulls the grenade trick. That was the original script. So she was yeah, going to blow I, herself up. I, yeah. I'm glad they changed that. Yeah. That would, yeah. Not, that, that would not have been good. I do love the, I mean, that's a, that's a cool little moment, though, where he puts the, the ring from the grenade oh, it's awesome. in his hand, and, and, and he looks at it. That's just, it's a great moment, actually. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. This is not going to end well. And then the explosion that happens after that is pretty damn impressive. So that's a, that's a good explosion. Yeah, I, I really had, I, I just completely forgotten how it ended. I'm like, wait a minute, Stansfield has to die, but but uh, Leon's already been shot, so what's going to happen here? Yeah. yeah. And then it's, of course, the yeah, the foreshadowing from the beginning with the, the grenades. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the ring trick. Uh, I do note, so Stansfield showed up and was asking Tony about, you know, where Leon was, and then you see Tony later in the movie, and he's got his face beaten up a little bit so apparently he put up a bit of a fight so maybe maybe that kind of points to the fact that he was a little bit more in leon's corner because i thought the whole time when leon was there where he was saying oh, i'm a bank i'm gonna keep your money i just assumed he was taking advantage of him so i'm not quite sure what's your final take on tony i guess in I, terms of his motivations i think he genuinely had feelings for 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 leon and that he was his friend and his family and he was but he knew that well you know, it's better for me to hold on to his money. And yeah. I and I can see why. Now I also don't think he would have been like, Oh, if you die, I, I get to keep all that money too. So Well, there's that as well. Oh, no, totally. And that's yeah. I mean that's that yeah. was the what he was really going for. He I assume that um that he's gonna be paying for the tuition at this school for the next, you know, five, six years. Right. So yeah. Well, and then she ends up going to the school, she shows up and of course she has the plant. That was, uh, as Marcus described in the uh, summary, Leon's best friend. And at the end, she takes the plant outside and buries it in the ground uh, where it will die come winter. <laughs> because, 
It's a tropical plant called a Chinese evergreen, and it cannot survive outdoors in cold weather. So, so after the, all the time of taking care of the plant and managing it and taking it along and having it survive explosions and having it escape the building with her, it's only going to die that first winter. So, sorry, plant. You, you, you know, you, you want to just sort of scream at her and say, Matilda, it's a house plant, okay? Right. <laughs> you, 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 it doesn't go outside. But she's 12, and she's been through a lot. So I'm not going to do that. She is. Okay, so we'll, we'll cut her some slack on that. But imagine how depressed she's going to be when she goes out in winter and she looks down. She's like, oh, fuck, the plant's dead. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is just, you know, it, she's going to her school, which is uh, the, the actual location of the school is in Hoboken at the Stevens Institute of Technology. But they clearly show Matilda getting onto the Roosevelt Island tram which only goes from Manhattan to Roosevelt Island in the opposite direction from Hoboken. So it's just kind of a little bit of like, okay, I get it. You're from France, but people notice these things in the U S especially if you're a New Yorker and you watch this movie, you'll be like, what? A little well, it's funny, I didn't know that I like nitpicking. I didn't know that there was a tram in New York. That was, so I was my, surprised that's to see my, the tram. What did I learn from this movie? I learned there's a tram in New York. I'm like, wait, is this real? <laughs> So, yes, it is. The <laughs> well, it's a very tram. short tram. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been to New York a couple times, but I've never seen a tram. Likewise, Colin, what did you learn? What did you learn from this movie? What did What did I learn? Yeah, I learned that plant care is a serious commitment. <laughs> uh, what I learned is that I am grossed out by milk <laughs> because you know people were getting blown up left and right, blood squirting, and. The grossest thing in this movie by far was watching somebody just down a whole glass of milk. It just, ugh, not for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We all have our things. All right. Well, I guess we can uh, jump to closing thoughts. Marcus, what do you got? I really enjoy the movie. It is, it's probably not as high as I once had it, but it's still in my top 238. I think it's a great movie. I think it's shot well. I think the acting is superb. It probably drops because there's more action movies from 1994. This is all pretty exciting and new action thriller. Just the kind of assassin, the motifs and stuff that they show is really kind of badass and cool. That's all kind of been done. The matrix does it probably a little bit better, but at the time it was, it was new. And so it was, it was exciting to see on screen. And then some of the shots are just amazing. Some of the, like the, the lighting and the effects and the, uh, not effects, but the, the lighting effect, um, just done really, really well and really thoughtful. And I like how they do use not seeing the violence and not seeing some of the kills to kind of show the kind of uh, efficiency of, of Leon. So really good. I will give it a A, a solid A for me. Colin? Pretty much everything that Marcus said. Um, just really great acting from, I mean, it's like Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman, right? Gary Oldman, he just shines. Jean Reno's really good. I really liked this movie in the 90s, and I watched it um, several times. And then I think I forgot about it for quite some time. And I really enjoyed watching it again. This is like one of those very long time since I'd rewatched it. I feel like, especially with, with some of the action, that that was very new. I hadn't seen it before. And so maybe it was sort of a, a trailblazer in that respect. I I think it's great. It's a great movie. Um, and I'm going to give it an A as well. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm mostly where you guys are, although not quite as enthusiastic. Uh, I do think that the visuals in particular are great. I think to Marcus's point, the bullet hole photography, like the light coming through is one of the things I think is really great. I do like how Bassan shoots a lot of the, the characters. I think that the performances are really great. So Jean Renault, Gary Oldman, and of course, Natalie Portman just crushes it. So, and I love the interaction between all those characters, or at least the Natalie Portman, Jean Reno, the, their energy together, I think works really well. Uh, I, for me, it, this is not, I, I do not see this as an 8.6 type movie on the IMDb. This is not, I think, one of the 200 greatest movies ever made. I, I personally would probably want to go back and watch it again, but I would put Nikita ahead of this in terms of my own personal preference. So for this, it's a B plus for me. So, so like it, but you know, don't love it. I mean, I actually really like it a lot and there's a lot to like here, but it just doesn't really blow me away. It's, I guess, how I would think about it. Um, and I do think that, I, I the, you know, I, my opinion of this movie is colored a little bit based on Bassan's history. And I, that, so that's another thing that just kind of trips me up a little bit because there's just some weirdness there. And eh, I don't know. I just, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily super, I don't love all of the subject matter in this movie personally. So that affects my grade a little bit. So it's just my own personal preference. But it's not necessarily a condemnation on the film itself. So, and a B plus is not necessarily a strong condemnation. So I think that uh, it's an accurate reflection of how I feel about this movie. All right. Well, we are at the point where the next person gets to make the movie pick and Colin, that is you. (laughs) Unlike eight mile where you, at the end of that pod, you were totally caught off guard. I did warn you earlier today. So hopefully you are prepared with (laughs) your pick today. (laughs) Thank God. Yes. And I have five choices. (laughs) Five Five choices. All right. Strap in. Let's go for it. What do you got? Well, so we got a couple of sci-fi movies. We got an action movie and we have a comedy. And I don't, when was the last time we did a comedy? It's been a while. Yeah. Was Gross Point Blank a comedy? I guess that's a comedy. I guess it's not. (laughs) All right. Well, I won't do the comedy then. I I feel like we need to do one. We haven't done a sci-fi in like. Yeah. I feel like we we, we need to do a sci-fi but we, maybe we need to do one that we could really sort of pick apart. And because of that, I'm going to choose Ridley Scott's Alien prequel, Prometheus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reaction I'm looking for. <laughs> Not looking forward to watching this? I'm for it. Have you, have you seen it, Marcus? Yeah. Like, huh. I think I saw it once when it came out or like around when it came out. I think I it is uh, visually spectacular, and its plot is a fucking mess. Like that's how my description of Prometheus. Like, that's I'm, I'm bearing the lead as to what my review is and reaction is going to be. But I will rewatch it and go in with a open mind. Well, but that's the thing. I, I think it would be fun to talk about how dumb the actions of many of the characters are. I know we have, we actually haven't really done like a Tango and Cash energy type right, pod that, in a while. That's so. why I chose yeah. that one because the, I, okay. the other two sci-fi are really good. I I, I like them a lot, but I'm gonna, I'll save them for later. All right. Well, apparently we'll be back with uh, Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Hope you enjoyed our discussion about both Leon the Professional and Leon the Professional International Cut because I think we covered <laughs> all three movies during this pod. Uh, we all agreed that uh, it's a really good film, worth watching with some really strong performances and a crazy impressive debut for Natalie Portman. So definitely worth watching if uh, you just want to see someone come out the gate as a pretty impressive actor. And with that, this is the Real DMC Podcast, signing off. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.
Some milk. You're about as funny as a bottle of milk. It. What was that? I said, I wonder if you got like sick drinking it. Like, if you had to do multiple yeah, takes. I don't know. Like, it's just milk, just, man. I mean, when's the last time you guys had a glass of milk, honestly? A glass, a glass of, milk? of milk? No. Yeah. yeah. I can't drink, I can't drink milk anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, milk's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Especially when okay. you have a cold and you get all snotty and. Ugh. <laughs> All right, let's stop this thing.